Well, let's open up our Bibles together and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21 this morning. You might notice when you get there that we're passing over a few verses, which I hope to return to at some future point. But I've decided to do that to uh, help us focus on a theme that we find in verses 14 through 21. And that theme is the church uh, as the family of God. Um, When we speak about the church as the family of God, it's not merely a nice way of speaking about the church. It is, in fact, a description of a reality, a description of our identity together as the people of God because of God's work among us through the gospel. Let's just remember quickly where we are in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul is writing to address problems in the Corinthian church. And really since the halfway point of chapter 1, he has been uh, addressing the issue of division and strife and one-upmanship in the church of Corinth. That is really all the result of the sin of pride. The Corinthian church was prideful. And uh, as we come to the end of chapter 4, Paul is wrapping up his discussion on this issue of the sin of pride and how it has been uh, affecting the church and how the Corinthians are to deal with it by way of the gospel. Uh, Before we read this passage, let's let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we've just confessed a moment ago how the Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring us to Christ and to bring us to share in all of his benefits. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us and among us to illumine uh, the word of God to our minds and our hearts. Give us understanding. Give us hearts that long to know and to receive and to be shaped by your word. Conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4, picking it up in verse 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit 
of gentleness. Amen. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. I remember when uh, Karis was born, many of you said that she looks just like me. And I remember when Emma was born, and many folks said she looks just like her mom. And that has proven, I think, to be by and large true. As the girls have grown older, Karis certainly bears more of the Havener family resemblance. And I just saw recently a picture of Emma as a baby alongside of a picture of Kelsey when she was a baby. And the resemblance really is uh, striking. What I've also come to realize, however, is that as our children grow older, they, they not only often resemble you, they begin to act like you. They begin to speak like you. They begin to, to think like you. Uh, not too long ago, I was working on something in the house, and I had a power drill out, and uh, Eli, one of his few words right now is, Wow. And uh, when he saw the power drill, he said, wow, 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 wow. And uh, I made the mistake of letting him play with the power drill. And I took the bits out, and I'm not crazy, but he, he ended up uh, holding on to that thing for at least an hour, and he became obsessed with it, so that now he carries a power drill around all day. It's reached the point that he's had to take naps with a power drill. Um, so Kelsey and I broke down and we bought him a Fisher-Price power drill that he can safely play with. And now he goes around the house fixing things because he wants to do what his dad was doing. And I remember when I was a boy doing the same thing. If my dad was working on something, I wanted to work on something. If he was cutting the grass, I was cutting the grass with him. And, you know, if, if you have children then you've probably experienced this, this reality and, and also come to the realization that how you live and what you say and what you do can very often have a profound impact upon your children. And I think that reality raises an important question. Uh, are we living in such a way that we, we want our children to, to grow up to be like us, to think like us, to speak like us, to live like us. I'm coming to terms with the increasing awareness that everything I say and do has an impact on my own kids. And here's the point of all of this. What's true of the biological family can also be true within the church. Uh, as we pointed out last week in these verses, Paul uses family imagery to describe his relationship with the Corinthian Christians. He identifies himself as the father of the, the Corinthian believers um, because the Lord used the Apostle Paul to bring many of these individuals to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul planted the church, and so he is their, their spiritual father, and they are his children. And so in verse 16 in our passage, Paul writes, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Just like a boy might imitate his dad or a girl might imitate um, her mother, Paul wants the Corinthians to imitate him, particularly in humility. Uh, the Corinthian church, again, is, was, was rife with division and strife and jealousy and 
infighting. The Corinthian church was a total mess because the, the, the folks were living by their own preferences. They were, instead of seeking to hold fast to the word of God, they were going beyond what was written and insisting on their own way over against others' preferences. And so, uh, as, as Paul's making his final appeals on this issue, he says to them, imitate me. Saying, live like me, think like me, speak like me, act like me, follow Jesus as I follow after Jesus. I'm, I'm your spiritual father in Christ, so let me show you how Christ's church thrives. That's what he's communicating to them. And so here's Paul, he's, he's thinking about the church as a family. And that has tremendous significance for us. And so today I want us to think along these lines. And I have four things to say. Um, starting with the basic idea that the church is a family. And then secondly, that the, the church is a family through the gospel. And thirdly, as a family, the church needs Fathers and mothers worthy of imitation. And fourthly, the church as a family needs discipline. So let's work our way through these four things, beginning with the first. The church is a family. And we ought to think about the church that way. You know, there are, there are various descriptions in the Bible for the church. The church is the temple of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the, the temple of God, the pillar and buttress of truth in this world. But one of the predominant ways that the New Testament speaks about the church is in family terms. The church is referred to as the household of God. Then there's the pervasive language of the apostles referring to believers as brothers and sisters. There's, of course, Paul's instruction to, to Timothy in ministry to treat older men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters. See, the way that you think about the church, it, it really does matter. The church is not a business selling you a product for your consumption, the church is not a, a, an entertainment venue seeking to keep you satisfied while you get your, your spiritual fix. The church is not a machine with all of the right programs installed running smoothly. No, the church is a living entity. And one of the ways the Bible teaches us to think about the church is as a family. But, but here's, here's the rub. Sometimes... We, we don't want a family. Uh, sometimes we, we maybe, maybe we want some, some folks to hang out with sometimes. Maybe we want a place we can stop in and get our, our spiritual fix for the week. But family life, well, family life can be pretty demanding. Family life requires sacrifice. Family life is often difficult and messy. Families have obligations to one another. Families uh, present us with a real challenge. But it's also true, I think, isn't it, that it's within the family context that we experience some of the greatest joys in our lives. Remember Jesus. Jesus himself thought about God's people 
as a family with stronger ties even than of our biological families. That might come as a shock to to many of us because we love our, our family so much. But the reason Jesus can say that is because biological family ties are, if we could put it this way, of this world, of this present age. And this present age is temporary. They're they're not eternal. But the bonds established among God's family transcend this present age. And that is why when Jesus told was told that his his father, his mother and brothers were looking for him, you remember what he said? He said, "Who are my who are my mother and my brothers?" And and looking out on the crowd sitting around him listening to his teaching following him Jesus said here are my mother and my brothers and so friends if, if you want a church that produces products for your consumption and satisfaction you are in the wrong place this morning uh, if you want to be entertained while you fulfill your needs for spirituality you're not going to find that sort of thing here but if you, want, if you want family with fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in the Lord who, who care for you, albeit imperfectly, and whom you are called to care for, that is what we, by the grace of God, I hope are striving to be. And that kind of life is hard. It's, it's messy. Brothers and sisters sometimes disagree. Sometimes they insist on having it their way. But at the end of the day... If we are thinking faithfully about the church, our family bonds in Christ hold us together in a strong union that is much more significant than many of the ways that a lot of people are thinking about the church today. And so the church is a family. Paul makes that clear here. And then secondly, what I want us to see is that the church is a family through the gospel. He tells us how we are a family. Our relation to one another, Paul is saying here, is established through the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 15, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the Corinthian church had a supernatural origin. Although Paul planted and Apollos watered after him, it was God himself in Christ who was the one who formed the church and gave the growth through the gospel. And what was true about the church of Corinth is of course true of every true church. We have supernatural origins. The church is God's work, God's creation, not man's. God himself through the gospel by the ministry of his servants, has formed us into a family through the supernatural means of the good news of Jesus Christ. I just think about the implications of that with me for a moment. We're not a family because of of shared bloodlines. We're not biological relatives, are we? Now, I'm not trying to make a suggestion for our seating practices, but I've heard interesting stories of churches in other parts of the world where when they gather together, 
in non-pandemic times, I guess we should say, when they gather together, instead of biological families being seated with each other, the men will sit together and the women will sit together and the boys will sit together and the girls will sit together. I'm not suggesting that we do that, but what does that communicate if you were to walk into such an assembly? One of the things it could communicate is that as the body of Christ is coming together, as the family of God meets for worship, that those relationships actually transcend our biological connections with one another. We are a family, not because we share the same bloodline, because we're relatives. Uh, We're a family not because we share the same interests in sports. Um, I know many of you follow the Steelers and Pirates and Penguins, and I have no idea when those seasons are often taking place most of the time. The only reason I know is because you tell me, and, and yet you still welcome me as your pastor. And to make matters worse, I like soccer. So, you know, Joe, you and I have got that in common, and we're loners here, I think, just about. All right. So our union certainly isn't established on the basis of shared sports. We're not a family because we share the same political views. We don't. We're not a family because we're all white middle-class Americans. Not all of us are middle-class Uh, Not all of us are white. Not all of us are from America. And that's okay because your citizenship and your belonging to the family of God has nothing to do with your citizenship here on earth. See, what, what brings us together is only one thing. The one thing that has formed us and brought us together as a family in Christ's church. And that is Christ's gospel. And so any attempt to build the church and any attempt to establish the unity of the church on any other basis will ultimately fail. Paul understood this. So when when the Corinthians were, were dividing over which church leader to follow, whose opinion mattered the most, what did Paul preach to them? What is Paul communicating to them? He preached the gospel. He reminded them, look, you weren't baptized into Paul or Apollos. You were baptized into Christ. I have resolved to to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, he said earlier. And now here in verse 15, he's telling them that the gospel is the source of their existence as a church. It was through the gospel that they were formed as a church. Not their shared relation to Paul or Apollos or Cephas or some other Christian teacher. The gospel is the source of their origin and the ground of their unity. And later Paul will tell us in in this very letter that the church is the body of, of Christ made up of many parts. We have a broad diversity of gifts with different concerns, different interests. Some parts are the the mouth, others are the ear, and the ears and the eyes, the hands and the feet, but all make up a single body. What's he trying to tell them? He's trying to tell them that this this division and one-upmanship and this competition and this pride has no place among the family of God. We exist as a church 
because God supernaturally formed us into a family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is that gospel alone that unites us and keeps us together. So the church is a family. The church is a family through the gospel. And thirdly, as a church, we need fathers and mothers worthy of imitation. In verse 16, Paul says, I urge you then be imitators of me. He tells them, I'm your father. Watch me. Act like me. Talk like me. Think like me. Live like me. Be like me as I follow Jesus and his word. Now, those of us called to leadership in, in the church, we need to pay special attention to this. We must, we must, we must hear what Paul is, is saying here. By the grace of God, we should want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow after Christ. Imitate me as I seek by the grace of God to imitate Christ. Now, this is a theme that by my own estimation, has really fallen by the wayside today. You don't hear people talking very much today about imitation in the Christian life. And I suspect part of that could be due to a false humility within the church. But if you look at this theme of imitation, it's all throughout the New Testament. Particularly, let's just limit ourselves to to Paul's own writings here for a second. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, we mentioned that verse last week. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And then writing to his, his younger protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And then 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one despise you, Timothy, for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And the, another pastoral letter, Titus chapter 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And we see here in our own passage in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, when Paul could not be with the Corinthians, he sent Timothy to them. And he writes, I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. For Paul, Timothy was a living, breathing example of his own way of living life in Christ Jesus. Now again, this way of talking, maybe it it sounds kind of strange to our ears. Maybe we don't feel comfortable saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. I think the default today is probably more likely to say something like, well, you know, I'm not the best example. Or, you know, I'm growing right alongside of everybody else. And there's certainly an element of truth there, isn't there? That all of us are 
um, on the path of becoming. <laughs> All of us are seeking to grow. None of us have arrived. All of us are seeking to mature and grow in Christ. But I think sometimes we think we are being humble when we say things like, don't follow my example, when really the, the message is loud and clear. Don't imitate me. And so this, this theme of imitation among the family of God, it, it's, really, it's been on my mind the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about it a lot, asking myself, can I, can I say with a sincere heart, imitate me? Not because I'm the greatest example, but from a sincere heart, I'm seeking to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And I turn that question over to all of us, but in particular, the leadership of our church. Can we say, imitate us as we seek to follow after Christ? I remember uh, Sinclair Ferguson saying in class that, Inevitably, a congregation will begin to resemble its minister or ministers in certain ways. So what would happen, you know, if I, if I stood up Sunday after Sunday and just preached angry sermons? What's that going to produce? That's going to produce a lot of angry Christians, isn't it? If I go doctrinally astray, chances are others will go doctrinally astray. If I do not have a zeal for the honor of God's name among the nations, chances are some of you won't either. Now, by no means have, have I arrived, but by the grace of God, this has been my prayer. I want to I strive to be able to say, dear church family, imitate me as I seek to imitate Christ. What does that mean? Pray, pray like me. Love God's word like me. Love God and neighbor like me, love the, 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 the church like me, watch me, let me show you how to live and die in Christ. I don't know about you, but I know in my own experience that some of the most influential people in my life, that influence has come not only in what they've said, but simply by watching them, right? by spending time with them. By living life with them. Isn't that what you hear when Paul is speaking to Timothy? And that long list of things that he mentioned. You've you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Even my persecutions and suffering. Paul has poured his life into Timothy. And left a mark upon him. It is the case, isn't it? That we are often shaped by examples that God places within our lives. Recently, I heard uh, Al Mohler, many of you will recognize that name. Um, he, he spoke out about the crisis of leadership today. The crisis of leadership in society, the crisis of leadership in family life, but also the crisis of leadership within the church today. I think he's right. Christ's church is in desperate need of fathers and mothers in the faith who are worthy of imitation. Particularly in our own day when we're seeing the breakdown of stable family lives. 
that the church desperately needs spiritual fathers and mothers worthy of imitation who will set an example for the coming generation. So I want to ask you, are you striving to grow in ways that are worthy of imitation? Are you seeking to set an example for younger believers? The church is a family. The church is a family through the gospel. The church as a family needs fathers and mothers worthy of imitation. And then fourthly and finally, the church as a family needs discipline. The church of Corinth needed it. Uh, Paul writes in verses 18 through 21. Look at them again with me. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now, as their father in the Lord, Paul is deeply concerned about his children and their behavior. And he raises two issues here. First, in verses 19 and 20, are they merely all talk? And no power. Apparently the Corinthians, you know, they were, they were talking a good game. They sounded very, very spiritual. They really thought they were, they were wise. They were wiser than the wise. They were living like kings. You could see that in verses 8 through 13. Ruling and reigning. They thought they knew everything there was to know about the Christian life and how to build up Christ's church. But Paul comes to them with this alarming message. You aren't living like Christians. That's what Paul is communicating to them. They're not building up Christ's church. In fact, as long as they live by the world's ways and according to worldly wisdom, the power of God is not among them. And then secondly, Paul raises the potential need for discipline. It's there in that question, isn't it? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now, of course, nobody, nobody wants the rod of discipline. But the reality is sometimes we need it, don't we? Due to the temptations of this world, the power of indwelling sin, the weakness of our own flesh. God, as members of his household, has placed this provision in our lives, the provision of church discipline, to call us back when we've wandered off of the way, to bring us back, to refocus us upon Jesus and his will for us. Our need for correction to return us to a faithful walk with Christ is essential for each and every one of us. I'll talk like this again. It might sound strange to many Christians today, and that's because for some time now, many churches have neglected the practice of church discipline. The whole idea sounds completely foreign today in a lot of evangelical churches. I mean, after all, think about it. Remember what I said earlier, how you think about the church really, really matters. Because if the church is just a voluntary association of people who come together with some shared sense of religious uh, beliefs, what place is there for discipline? 
Or if the church is just a product for human consumption, who's going to put up with discipline if that's how we think about the church? But if the church is the family of God, and the goal is conformity to Christ's image, to the glory of the Father, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us and within us, then when children go astray, they need the loving discipline of the church. After all, what kind of loving father doesn't discipline his children? And when we're all talk and no show, when we're not living like Christians, when we've wandered off the path, we need someone who cares and loves us enough to step in with the rod. Now this is a theme we'll return to next week as Paul turns to address the problem of sexual immorality in the church of Corinth. But just for now, today, notice how everything we have said about the church being a family in this passage is only possible because of our shared union with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? I wonder, did you notice that Paul alludes to union with Jesus Christ four times in the span of three verses. It's another indicator of just how pervasive this idea, this reality was in the mind of the Apostle Paul. Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child, in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. It's almost like Paul can't even get a thought written down without mentioning the reality of our union with Jesus Christ. And my friends, the teaching here is really simple. No church can be a truly growing, thriving family of God apart from Jesus. No one can enjoy this glorious identity with all of its privileges and all of its responsibilities apart from Christ. And no Christian can be an example worthy of imitation apart from union with Christ. So if we have any hope any hope to be a church family with fathers and mothers who are worthy of imitation, then we must be in Christ. We must be resting in him through the power of the gospel alone. How are we found in Christ? We are found in Christ by faith alone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we do praise you for the gospel and that through it we are members of your household. And we pray that by the power of the gospel that we would be a family united together in Christ. We would be a family with fathers and mothers worthy of imitation. We thank you that you so love us that when we go astray as members of your household that you seek after us in 
love and you call us back through your church and your people. And we pray that more and more we would learn to enjoy this great reality that because of what Christ has done, that we are indeed a family in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.